Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Heartway. Good morning, <laughs> So always, it's always so beautiful to be with you guys. I mean, genuinely. I, one of my intentions when I come up here is if I can do anything, it's not just to lead Centering Prayer in this moment, but it's to help us remember the utility of bringing this into our lives. What the centering prayer allows us to experience not what it's doing for us but what it's revealing about us what it's allowing us to enter deeper into does anybody else deal with anxiety (laughs) overthinking (laughs) we're suffering noise And while there's a value to sound, it's different when we experience it as noise. But the silence, the peace, go ahead and close your eyes. What we're experiencing when we shut off stimulation Anyone just lean into the calmness. You may get comfortable. You can gently allow your muscles to relax. And as you relax, take a breath through your nose. every breath you take you feel power love coming into you and with every exhale you feel all stress all weighty thoughts leaving your body. As you breathe, know in this moment, 
relinquish all responsibility. Relinquish identity. Only be. Relinquish doing. Just be. You can feel the tension loosen up. Feel your hands. Feel them loosen. Feel your shoulders. Feel them loosen. Feel your chest. Feel your hips, feel your thighs, feel them all loosen. Mm. How good that feels to be light. As you continue to breathe and experience yourself going deeper and deeper into this calm, allow me to engage you with some truths, some affirmations about yourself. I am love. I am loved. How does it feel in this moment to be without need? It's lovely. I need not wait for the next moment. This moment is enough. When I'm this at peace, I feel most connected to myself. I feel most connected to God. I feel the least separation between myself and God.
when I'm this at peace, I need not fear, I need not worry. And in that knowledge, I feel strong. So I simply set the intention as I breathe. To prioritize this peace over all things, over achievement, over possessions, over desires. No, this peace is my desire. This peace is my desire. And if you resonate with this intention as one collective body, let us breathe in together. Deep, deep inward, deep, and slowly let out. I'm feeling my awareness come back into my body. I'm slowly coming back to myself. You may open your eyes. We love you and we thank you, Hartway. God bless you. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. I'm still not over Friday. I'm recovering, man. Jeez. Y'all got lit. I realized, she said, I, I'm the leader. I was the leader. Yeah, I was feeling myself a little bit in the dance moves. That's the thing that I've been realizing. Like, if, if, if I learn how to, how to really master the salsa game as a single man, it's over. It's over. So I'm working on that and cooking, you know, just to like up my value a little bit. Yeah, get some tools. But that was so much fun. I realized that like, I think Hartway's true calling is to throw parties. So we're gonna be doing more, <laughs> for real. Shout out to Jovi, who really was mastermind behind all this. Um, so much fun. So much fun. Love you guys tremendously. I love that we can be family. Armando, what's up, baby? When are you going to get on the drums, bro? All right, good, man. Good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go back. Well, I'm excited to share with you this morning. Uh, the title of my sermon is The Lost Message of Jesus. And 
I think this is going to be a very important message because we lose sight of the things that really matter. We forget the things that are essential. We swap it for things that are non-essential. We make non-essentials essentials when they're not. And if you pay attention to Jesus' words throughout the Gospels, you'll notice that he rarely points people to himself. He's always saying, have faith in God, rarely points people to himself. He never said, worship me. But he did say, follow me a whole lot. Jesus came as a messenger. But somewhere along the line in church history, the messenger became the message. With good reason, because Jesus' life was his message. And we'll just hit the pause button there for a minute because your life is your message. Regardless of what you say with your words, your life is your true message. You are speaking so loudly with your actions and your behavior. And that is what people listen to more than what's coming out of your mouth. So understandably so, Jesus' life was his message. However, because we have placed so much emphasis on Jesus as the message... We have de-emphasized the message that Jesus preached. When Jesus would go into a new town, the scriptures say that he would say to people, repent and believe the gospel. Scary words for some of us who grew up with church and religion, repentance. Repentance simply just means changing your mind. That's all it is. All change begins in the mind. When you change your mind, you change your world. Everything that you experience, you experience in your mind. You're not experiencing reality objectively. You're only and always experiencing reality from a subjective vantage point. So it's about how you see things. So if you're going to experience a shift and an inner transformation, it all begins and ends with what's happening in your mind. And it's helpful to know that because when you're going through difficulties in life, and you're tempted to blame other people or blame God or blame life, you can say, wait a second, is life the problem or is my perception of life the problem? If you keep life as the problem, you're going to remain powerless. But if you recognize that it's your perception that is the problem, now you can do something about it. So changing the mind, renewing the mind to see as Christ sees, is really the essence and the core of what this community is all about. So Jesus said, repent, change your mind, and believe. A lot of us think that the word believe is synonymous with affirming intellectual truths, you know, assenting to certain doctrines. But there's one uh, theologian by the name of Marcus Borg who defines the word believe in, in the context that Jesus uses it as Committing from the heart or giving your heart over to something. And when Jesus referred to the gospel, that phrase literally means the good news or the good message. So Jesus would walk into a new town and he would say, change your mind and commit your heart to the good message. What is the good message? The good message is what Jesus referred to as the kingdom of heaven. Anybody familiar with that terminology? Because Jesus talked about it a whole lot. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is among us. 
The kingdom of heaven has arrived. A lot of people have misconceptions about what the kingdom of heaven is. For most of us, we relegate it to something in the future. Maybe it's like something that we experience after we die. And what's interesting about Jesus' usage of, of this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is that he was very cryptic about it. He always spoke of the kingdom of heaven in parables. So there was a ton of ambiguity surrounding this message. Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would go on to describe something. The kingdom of heaven is like this or like that. So when you look at the Hebrew scriptures, remember Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know. It's like, what? So when you look at the Hebrew scriptures, you can't find the phrase kingdom of heaven anywhere. So this concept, this idea was a totally new one that Jesus introduced when he came on the scene. He was pointing people to a totally new understanding of God and life and humanity and reality. In fact, for the Jews who heard Jesus speaking about God's kingdom, oftentimes in their mind, they would have heard that as referring to their specific people group, which is normally how it goes with religious ideologies. It's very tribal. God's people, yeah, that's us and no one else. We're the ones who, who got it right. We're the ones who have the answers. Jesus universalized the message and said the kingdom of heaven is spread all across the earth. It's just human beings that are incapable of seeing it. So the question I want us to tackle is, what exactly is the kingdom of heaven? And here's a definition that I think points us in the right direction. The kingdom of God is the absolute, eternal, and unchanging presence of God within us and among us. And that last phrase is really important, within us and among us. Because when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven, he spoke about it as having both an internal dimension and an external dimension. So the internal dimension of the kingdom of heaven refers to the spirit of God within you. Look at how Jesus put it in Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is. Or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is within you. So everything in the material world is finite and temporary. But the spirit is eternal and infinite. And the spirit is that aspect of your being, which now is oftentimes in our modern day vernacular referred to as consciousness, it's that aspect of your being that is never born and never dies. So in this theological framework, God's spirit and the human spirit are inextricably bound together as one. So in the Jewish mystical tradition, they, they speak of human beings as sparks of the divine. So if you were to go outside and light a fire and watch it, you would notice that coming up out of the fire, arising out of the fire, are these sparks or small particles that contain the fire within it. 
So in the same way, you and I are sparks or emanations of God that contain the very energy and essence and life force of God within us. So it's not so much that we were made by God as much as we are made of God. And to realize this, to live in the reality of it, not just to be able to say it in your head, I am a spark of the divine. No, that's useless. (laughs) Okay? This is all just fanciful words that mean nothing unless you truly come to the realization that Jesus did in the Gospel of John when he said, I and the Father are one. When you move into this unitive consciousness, when you understand that you are connected to God and by virtue of your connection to God, you are connected to your neighbor and you are connected to nature and you are connected to everything in this universe. You weren't just placed into this earth from some other realm. You come from the earth. We're made of star stuff, like the scientists say. So everything is one. And when you live into this realization, you begin to see the beauty of this principle of non-doership. Being spiritual doesn't mean that you don't do anything, that you go live in a mountain and just meditate all day or just do Reiki and yoga and and never work another day in your life. Some people do that. Some people actually choose that path, you know, um, I don't recommend it. It sounds a little boring to me. Just live up in a monastery somewhere and just pray all day. But hey, whatever floats your boat. The rest of us, we're going to be in real life. We're going to have everyday interactions. So being spiritual doesn't mean you're not active anymore. When I speak of this principle of non-doership, I'm speaking of something that Paul hints at in the New Testament when he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Essentially meaning, as you go about doing your everyday activities, you don't carry this sense of being the one that's doing it. You understand that it's God that is living and moving and breathing through you. It's not your actions. It's not your thoughts. It's not your emotions. It's not your life. It is God that is living in you and through you. And when you begin to to see this, when you get this vision, when you uh, attain this true perception, you're able to smile through whatever it is that life brings your way because you're in on the secret. You know that the whole world is God's kingdom and God rules over God's kingdom. And he's doing a perfectly good job at running the show despite all of the ways that your ego tries to say that he isn't. And the whole spiritual journey is about moving past the resistance of your ego and accepting life as it is, accepting things the way they are, living in harmony with existence because you understand that it is in God that we live and move and have our being. So you do something bad, you're not going to feel super guilty about it. You do something good, you're not going to take that much credit for it. (laughs) Because you're not the doer. You're allowing God to just live through you. And the mistakes and the faults are a part of the whole thing. You think God is against mistakes and failures? Look at this planet. (laughs) Okay, obviously, obviously the mistakes and the failures are a part of a much 
greater perfection that's at work here that we just don't notice. And that is what I believe Jesus was pointing towards when he was talking about this mystery of the kingdom of heaven. There's one mystic in the Catholic tradition who would say, my deepest me is God. Think about that statement for a second. My deepest me is God. So profound. You are so much more than your personality. You, you are so much more than the roles and the identities that you take on in this world. Before you are anything else, before your mom, dad, police officer, firefighter, nurse, shout out to all the nurses at Heartway. We got a lot of nurses at Heartway. And uh, before you're anything, you are a child of God. And there is nothing that you can do that can remove that status from you. You can't screw that up. There's a bunch of stuff that you can do that can get you fired at work. There's a bunch of stuff you can do that can cause your partner to leave you. But there's nothing you can do to get rid of this fundamental status that you've been given as a beloved child of God. So to root yourself in this makes life so beautiful. And that is what the gospel message is at its core. You always have been and always will be totally inseparable from from the love and presence of God. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why Jesus called it good news. It really is that good. Even me, I'm so unlovable. I'm filled with so much shame. I've done so much wrong. I've hurt so many people. I'm a blah, 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 blah. Nothing. You are loved. So God loves you. Now it's time for you to love you a little bit as you are. We think that by beating ourselves up, we'll become better. But beating ourselves up makes us worse. You can only love yourself into a state of wholeness, as I've mentioned so many times. Look at this quote from Thomas Merton. He was a Catholic monk. He said, there's only one problem on which all my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend. To discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self... I will find him. So to find God within yourself is to find that aspect of your being that is immovable. The spirit within you is immovable. It's the mind that's constantly in motion, wavering between this and that, past and future, worry and regret, fear and anxiety. The mind is constantly in motion. So if you can find a way to... uh, descend from your mind into your heart and center yourself in the reality of spirit through love, acceptance, surrender, non-attachment, letting go, all different words to describe the same fundamental disposition and attitude towards life. It's an open-hearted receptivity. If you can just live connected to your heart and to your spirit in this way, you can begin to experience a sense of groundedness that will sustain you through whatever it is that life throws at you. And you know what the result of this is? You start to fear less. You start to fear less. You're not afraid of things being taken from you. You're not afraid of bad things happening to you. You're not afraid of things going wrong anymore. 
because you understand that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You just know the whole thing is already rigged in your favor. You play the cards that fate deals you as if they were your own. You own it. You understand that it's always, it's always working for you, not against you. Because God is for you, not against you. And so <clears throat> this allows you to practice a sort of indifference. A lot of us associate indifference with like not caring and, and as a negative trait. But indifference uh, is a positive spiritual quality and virtue to be indifferent to the ups and downs of life. Listen, you don't own anything in your life. You lease it all. It all belongs to God. And the scriptures say God gives and God takes away. So why are you going to be mad when God takes away something that's not even yours? He just lent it to you for a little while. If you apply this to people... You will be happier, I promise. If you apply this to material things, you will be happier, I promise. This is why Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven in one parable as a treasure that someone finds in a field. And when they find this treasure, they go back home, sell everything that they got to buy this entire field with that treasure because that treasure is worth more than anything. What is the treasure that is worth more than anything? The kingdom of heaven within you, all of the riches of God's kingdom within you, righteousness and love and joy and peace and hope and happiness. And to really be able to find that without needing anything or anyone else to have it and experience it. That's the whole thing. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. All that is impermanent will be removed. And only the unshakable things will remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God is in the shaken up business. <laughs> things in your life are always going to be shaken up. So don't get too comfortable when everything's perfectly calm, everything's fine. Because it's not going to stay like that forever. Things are going to be shaken up. It is inevitable. But God's presence within you is unshakable. So the way you become unshakable is by releasing your attachment to all of the things in your life that are. Everything can be shaken. Everything that is impermanent will be removed. Why? so that you can come to find that which is immovable within you. Because when you find that which is immovable within you, regardless of what happens, you're centered. You're okay. You've got God. God's got you. So many people with good heart and good intention oftentimes say, how could God allow this? God allows everything. It's you and I who don't allow things to be what they are. And that's why we suffer. So if you really commit yourself to this process, at the end of the journey, the only thing you're going to be left with is God. And that's actually the best place that you can be. When everything has been stripped from you, 
right? And that's why sometimes in, in the world of spirituality and in this journey, it's actually a good thing when life goes wrong and when things go bad because all of the stuff that can be shaken is being shaken. All of the stuff that you're clinging to for your sense of identity and your sense of self-worth is being removed so that you can be grounded in something so much deeper, an identity that is immovable. So that's the internal dimension of the kingdom of heaven. But there's also the external dimension of the kingdom. Okay, when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, he was also speaking of what the world could look like if we lived in harmony with one another. One theologian speaks of the kingdom of God as God's dream for the world. Ultimately, the kingdom of God is love. And when we love one another, we create the kingdom of heaven on earth. Here's a parable from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And then he told them still another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. What's the spiritual principle here? Big change usually starts in really small ways. So it starts as individual transformation, and then little by little it begins to grow and blossom into communal and collective transformation because when you find peace within yourself, you begin to live at peace with others. When you find love within yourself, you begin to spread love to others. When you find joy within you, you start to give joy and bring joy to others everywhere that you go. This is why you can never speak of spirituality as a solely individualistic endeavor. If your spirituality, if your religion does not have a positive effect on the way that you treat other people, especially those who disagree with you and who are different than you, then it's all just a show. It's all worth nothing. So something that I've seen as I've, talked to so many people, heard so many stories, is that the family that you're born into and the community that you're surrounded with has a huge part to play in the kind of person that you become. Right? Isn't that right? Like, yeah. who, where, who, where you're raised and who raises you and who you're around, you, you are who you surround yourself with in many ways. So I'm convinced that the world is in need of spiritual families spiritual communities like Heartway where people can grow into the most loving version of themselves. And so when individuals who have experienced inner transformation begin to come together in community, that's when change begins to happen at a larger scale. And that's why we exist. The whole purpose of Heartway, the whole purpose of spiritual community is to be a sign and a witness to the world of what humanity can look like, what's possible for humanity when people come together in harmony and in love. And ultimately, I think that what will unify us as a species, it's not gonna be a religion, 
It's not going to be a political affiliation. I'm so sorry to let you guys down because I know you, you ride hard. I go to, I go to uh, Retro Fitness here in Davie. These guys are with the, fl they got flags on their trucks, man. They go in hard. Okay, I know you, you die hard about it, but the world is not going to be transformed by everybody becoming like you. How boring would that be? Could you imagine if everybody was like you? Some of us, that's our version of utopia, though. And we are set out at converting everybody to our religion, converting everybody to our political ideology. No. The only thing that has the ability to unify humanity is love. Because love is the only thing in the world that is capable of creating unity without uniformity. Most of us equate unity with uniformity. Yeah, we're going to have unity, but we're going to have unity on the basis of these five beliefs. And if you don't hold to these five beliefs, nope, you're out. And that's how we do it. You realize this is why the religious leaders had such a hard time with Jesus. And I, wanna, I really want to emphasize this before I wrap up today. Look at this passage of scripture in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is speaking and he says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. So if you're really comfortable in your religion, I challenge you to begin to reflect on how faithful you're actually being to Jesus. Because Jesus ruffled all of the religious people's feathers. They couldn't contain him in their box. It was the religious leaders. It was the pastors. It was the priests. It was the people who interpreted the Bible for you that rejected and crucified the man. Why? Because religious people end up becoming gatekeepers. And as gatekeepers, they get to decide who's in and who's out, who belongs and who doesn't belong. They operate within an us versus them mindset. Jesus operated in love. When there's love, there is no in and out. There is no us and them. It's just us. We're all in. It's all love. And when you walk in love, you'll notice love completely dissolves all of these categories that religion tries to put people in. Because the person who walks in love sees other people as an extension of themselves. So what Jesus showed us with his life is that religion actually can get in the way of you connecting with God when it isn't built on this foundation of love. There's a uh, philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. He was very critical of Christianity. He had one statement where he said, there's only ever been one true Christian, and he died on the cross. And he said that as an indictment towards Christianity because in his estimation, the religion that was born in Jesus' name came to represent the complete opposite of what Jesus lived. 
His critique was that the church became obsessed with belief and dogma and as a result began to neglect action and practice and lifestyle. See, God is not bound by our religion. God cannot be confined to our belief systems. God does not belong to our traditions. God is love. And there's no such thing as Christian love, Muslim love, Jewish love, conservative love, liberal love. Love is love. And love is universal. This is why love is the language of God. Because you don't even need words to understand it. It's a universal language. It's about how you live your life. And when you find that love within yourself and you begin to share that love with others, that's when you truly begin to experience who God is. It's not about morality. It's not about having the right beliefs. It's about living with an open heart. If you find the way to your heart, you find the way to God. If you find the way to your heart, you find the way to the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, today we are filled with so much gratitude that we are recipients of this good message. The good message that the kingdom of heaven is within us and among us. That nothing can separate us from your love and presence. That our spirit and your spirit are bound up together as one. Help us to live in the reality of this good news so that our life can be one of love and peacemaking and harmony. May we find that which is immovable within us. Help us to, to remain grounded through all of the ups and downs in our lives as we open our hearts and, and live in union with you. We pray the same prayer that you taught to your disciples, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. 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 All right, guys. Happy Sunday. Love you. And we'll see you uh, next weekend.